All right, good morning. Good morning, Transit Church. How's everyone doing today? My name is Jake Mudgerson. I'm the pastoral intern here at the Transit. And uh, maybe you were here, I think it was six weeks ago, for my first sermon here at the church. And the good news is, I still have my internship after that. So we're, we're still here, and uh, you know, we're having a little technical, uh, technological difficulties. I got a mic in the hand, not the headset. And I was thinking as I was sitting, you can take the mic from us, you can take the technology and the slides and everything, and the name of our Lord will still be lifted high, his word will still be preached, and nothing will stop us from doing that. So I've gotten a little ahead of myself. That was not part of my notes, but our God is good. Amen? And uh, before I jump into the text, I just want to kind of talk about last week. Who's here for the food packing party? Everyone, pretty much. A lot of people chipped in. Huge success. We got three months of food supplied to the elementary school down the street, which is incredible. I mean, that was uh, above our goal, really. Of I think it was 178 bags of food. And two team members went to the president of the school's house to drop off the food last Sunday, the first month's provision. And uh, she said this, and I want to share this. She said, a lot of people think with the pandemic over, the need is gone. And the need is not gone, it's still there. Um, and if you're new to the church, you maybe haven't heard this stat, 60% of the kids at that school face food insecurity at home. So that, that should hit our hearts. And yes, we have a great outreach team. We had a leader, Jess Defru, who just had a kid leading from home. Uh, unbelievable, set us up for success. So we have a great team. But we boast in our Lord because he's the one who's even shown us the need that is present in the community. He's the one that led us to that school, and he's the one who's provided through your obedience and generosity. So um, I just want to say thank you guys for your obedience, your generosity. Last week was a huge success. Um, and you may have seen also that I say great team. I'm kind of included on that, but my assignment last week was to count the bags as you pack them and drop them off. That's right. <laughs> you're you're going to be mentioned. Just hold on, buddy. You're about a, a minute ahead of schedule. Um, and knowing that this task was way too challenging to count the bags, I appointed Zach Bridges to, to help me. And uh, God bless you for your patience in dealing with me because we had 178 bags and 174 times I would grab a bag and say, okay, 24, turn to Zach and there'd be nothing. Completely forget the number and he'd say, Jake, it's 24. Come on, come on, buddy. <laughs> You're doing good, so thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Um, we're in Nehemiah chapter 8, 9 through 12 today. You can turn there in your Bibles. And a quick recap from last week. The wall's been built, right? They built the wall. The city's starting to be repopulated. Um, the work's pretty much done. And early in chapter 8, the people ask Ezra to read the word of God to them. That was their request. That's what they wanted. And, and what happened? Ezra read the word of God for six to seven hours, I believe almost seven hours, and, and what was the people's response to the word of God? It was weeping and mourning, and I can say with complete confidence that if Nick or I came up here for seven hours, that would be your response as well, uh, of mourning and weeping, but they felt a different mourning and weeping, a different reason, and it was because the word of God convicted them of their sinful human condition to wander from his love, and that struck them. They saw their human condition, and uh, this really... Uh, crushed them. And it, it begged the question, as I was prepping for the sermon, you know, it's my second sermon, so I, I'm looking at the text, and Lord, I got nothing. Where, where are we going with this one? 
And I was asking the question, why, why was this their response? They're, they just built a wall. They just worked really hard, finished a great task. I know when I set goals and do it or do something well at work, I'm going on vacation. I'm going to get a pumpkin spice latte. I'm doing something to celebrate. And, and we see that their hearts are for the word of God. That's what they request. And I, I believe the reason for that, that their, their posture was for, for that instead of just rejoicing, was when you see the loving hand and goodness of the Father move in your life, as they had, as they worked on the wall over and over again, he protected for them, he provided for them, and they saw him moving and they trusted him. So they wanted more of him. They wanted to be led by him. And that was their desire. And if I could give you my thesis for this morning, it would be true joy comes when we look more to our Savior than our sin. True joy comes when we look more to our Savior than our sin. And the points that come with that, if you're taking notes, point number one, God sustains the hungry. God sustains the hungry. Point number two, conviction is not the destination, but a stop in route to restoring joy-filled right relationship with God. Conviction is not the destination. Point number three, the joyous celebration of God's people is born out of his mercy and grace for them. Let's read the text. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this day. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move this morning and speak through me. You would move through any error of my own, Lord. I pray that all of our eyes would be set on you, Father, that we would see your heart in a correct light. Any lies we believe about who you are and how your posture is towards us, any lies, Father, wipe them away this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. May all eyes be set on your mercy and your grace and your love towards your people and how you haven't stopped moving in our midst. You haven't stopped setting captives free. You haven't stopped sustaining your people with daily bread. So we thank you, Father, for your goodness towards us because we don't deserve it yet you still move to reconcile the relationship, as Nick preached on last week. We thank you, Father. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come. Lord, I pray that I would be completely forgotten up here, and everyone would be focused on you and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, right into point one. God sustains the hungry. God sustains the hungry. And we remember... In Nehemiah chapter 8, a short period of time after the walls were completed and the people of God were about to gather to celebrate the Feast of Booths that's coming up. Thankfully, I'm not preaching on that. Uh, someone else has got that, so I'm not, not even going there, but that's what's coming, okay? Um, and typically with feasts in pagan cultures, those days were filled with a whole lot of sin. 
And the people, Nehemiah, and, and the people of this chapter, their desire is for the word of God. They could easily, like I said before, just rest in, in the work they had done. They completed a, a mighty task in, in a short period of time. They could have rested in that and sipped their pina coladas in the sand and just rejoiced, but they didn't. They wanted more direction. They wanted more direction from, from their Lord. That was their desire. And, but why? Why was this their desire? First, I believe, as I said before, they, they saw the Lord as they moved in obedience, as they worked unto him. They saw him provide over and over again. They saw him protect over and over again. They went untouched, right? There were so many threats coming their way, and not once did they get touched. And the Lord had them, and they trusted him. They knew that God's word would stand forever, unlike the walls they just built. They also were probably aware that the joy of the completed task wouldn't last forever. It wouldn't sustain them through. They needed sustenance. They needed something to carry them through. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, He humbled you and let you be hungry, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So my question to us, and I am definitely including this, are we daily hungering for the word of the Lord? Are we daily hungering and thirsting for his presence? Is that our posture, or are we just settling for what the culture has to offer us? Because we're hungry every day, and we're going somewhere to satisfy that hunger. If it's not of the Lord, it's something else. Are we hungry for more of the Lord? And I think... The reason for that sometimes when we're, we're not really hungry is it's really easy in Northern Virginia to be comfortable. We can settle in our comfort. Well, what's the, the great need of my life? I have everything I need. I have all the food I could want. I have a little bit of money in my bank account. Life is good. I'm not going to go there. Sorry. Let me get off my notes. Hold on. Uh, we'll, we'll wait for that. We'll wait for that. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta stay. Hold on, hold on. Um, and we, and in this comfort, we settle for the sermon we heard last week. Maybe not this week, but last week to guide us through the week. We settle for the devotional we read three days ago to carry us through the whole week. And while those things aren't bad, they're good, but they can't truly fill you up long term. Who here has been to Ruth Chris? Anyone here? Ruth Chris Steakhouse, amazing. I hear an amen, amen to that. When I go to Ruth Chris, I want like a 90-ounce ribeye, medium rare, yes, 90, with like a gallon, a gallon of mashed potatoes. I want everything. And it's delightful. It's an amazing experience until the bill comes. Um, but I will say this. The only time I think I've ever been to Ruth Chris was the, our owner of the construction company took us out and paid for it. So that is the best Ruth Chris experience one could have. Um, but the reason I'm going there is, listen, no matter how much food I eat at Ruth Chris, I will wake up the next morning hungering for something. I will wake up hungering for something. And no matter how good the food was the day before and how much I ate of it, I can't live off of that yesterday. I have to have something in me to sustain me through the day. In the Old Testament, we see Israel wandering in the desert and starving, and what does God do? He provides manna, fall, bread of heaven, right? Fall from the sky, provide for his people, and guides them with his presence. Cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. 
and you think manna when I'm thinking of it. I'm thinking like frosted flakes, but you eat it and you don't get cavities. Like the good stuff. The good stuff. And what was the directive that the Lord gave with that? Don't store it up. Eat the day's portion. Eat the bread that the Lord provides today. Trust that he'll provide the next day. And we see that in, in the Lord's... Uh, I'm not going to go there. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Deuteronomy, uh, I'm sorry. John 6, verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Church, do we trust that he will provide when we go to him? That he will sustain us in the needs that we have? Do we trust him? You see the Lord's Prayer. It's not, Lord, help us to live off of yesterday's bread. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. So, Nehemiah, chapter 8. They're hungry for the word, is, is my thought. They want direction from the Lord. They want to hear. So they go to the word. What happens? Well, verse 9, we see, they're mourning and weeping. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And the people's response, if you can picture this, and Nick touched on it, I think it was like 50,000 people in the crowd, like a mass crowd of people crying, wailing, snot hanging down, losing their marbles, going crazy. And think, what in the world just happened? They, I mean, they were just listening to the word of God being read, and, and now it's a big cry fest, which this leads us into point two. Conviction is not the destination, but a stop in route to restoring joy-filled right relationship with God. So we see this is their response, and it's one of mourning and conviction. I won't go into too much detail here. Nick touched on it last week. Great message. And I would encourage you, quick commercial break, to go back and listen to last week's sermon and also Ian Hannah's testimony. Monday morning, I was driving here pretty early, sweating the fact that I would be up here on stage Sunday and needed to pray about what the Lord is putting on my heart to share with you. Um, and, and I'm driving in, and I'm listening to Ian's testimony, and I, I can't help but raise my hands and worship the Father, what he's done. Well, one hand. I was driving. But I, I raised one hand. And worship the Father for what he has done in Ian's life. It was a powerful testimony. And the beauty of it is that our Father has not stopped setting people free. He's not stopped comforting the afflicted. I know for me in my own testimony, the chains that I wore in my captivity, I bought with my own money and put on myself. But the Father, out of his grace and love for me, came with the key and set me free. So that is the Father that we have. And we are rooted in the Word. And we see that he's done it over and over again. But when we get to see him move in our midst, that's when the game changes even more. We get to see him move in our midst and set people free. And that, that made me raise my hands and worship in the car. Unbelievable. And I wanted to take this commercial break for us to sit and think about what took place. Because for me personally, phones, you can see something really cool. You can hear a cool story real quick. Like, wow, that was powerful. And move on right to the next thing. I want us to think about what took place at a simple prayer and worship night. The presence of God came and changed a person's life. Changed a person's life. Uh, if that doesn't get you fired up, I, I, I don't know. I, hopefully something else will in here. Uh, but it's just, it's just amazing. 
And uh, I just want to praise the Lord for a second with what he has done. But you may be asking, Jake, are you even on the point? I don't know where I'm at right now, so we're going back. Um, the people's response is one of mourning and con- conviction. They see that they've drifted far from their loving God. The word reveals their sinful human condition that is prone to wandering from them. Nick used that um, illustration of the word acting as the mirror, showing the people how they really were, what they've really done, how far they've actually wandered from the Lord. But they're quickly told not to mourn or weep. Multiple times. Nine through 12, they're told multiple times, don't mourn, don't weep, rejoice. But, but why, would they, why would they be called to, to mourn, uh, stop mourning and rejoice? Shouldn't they feel the weight of their sin that got them in this place, that removed them from the presence of the Lord? You know, I know clearly the people here are experiencing this conviction, and, and conviction is an important part of the process for us to turn towards our Lord, away from where we were to the solution, our Father in heaven. Let's see what uh, the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9 through 10. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. You see, in the, this passage, grieving is not the end point. And we can actually lose the purpose of that conviction in the fog of our sorrow. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about conviction. Conviction is not repentance. Conviction leads to repentance. But you can be convicted without repentance. And there are two things I want to caution us on with with that. First, there's an action that comes with repentance. And know that action isn't just crying, though that may come with it. That's not the action. The action is a turning from something to the Lord and continuing to walk with him. That is the action. Godly, um, godly sorrow is one of action. Worldly sorrow is one of leading words and empty promises. And then the second thing I, I would warn you on is, this is really important, don't wallow in your sin. Don't sit in it. It, it is important to feel the weight of our sin and mourn it and grieve it for what we've done. But that can easily just turn into our eyes being overly focused on ourselves and repeating the same sin cycle that got us into that spot in the first place. If we don't put our eyes on the solution, we will keep going to the problem. Our conviction must turn our eyes up to the Father for forgiveness and help. And if we aren't careful, conviction can easily turn into condemnation. And I believe condemnation is the last-ditch effort the devil will try to use prevent you from returning to the Father's loving presence. Condemnation is the last-ditch effort the devil will try to use to keep us from returning to the Father's loving presence. So I'm going to share. I'm the intern. I want to try to share my testimony a little bit with you all so you can get to know me a little better and my family. Um, From the age of 17 to 19 years old, I made pretty much every mistake one, one could make. And I'm surprised there was no groaning from this section of my family. It's like, oh, man, you're, you're going there in your testimony. Yes, we're going there. Um, but in my eyes, my life was great. I had the long hair. I had all the snapback hats money could buy. 
I just received a huge pay raise. I was now making $7.25 an hour. You laugh. They also gave me a 20% discount at the pro shop, which is unbelievable. So uh, in my eyes, where am I going to spend all this money if you keep giving me these things? So I had my life together. I packed my bags, moved out of the house, left my parents, left the Lord in my pursuit of worldly happiness. I knew what would bring joy and what would last. And shockingly, I ended up in a very broken state. And if you're under the age of 20, I really want you to listen. Because one, I want you to learn from my mistakes, but don't believe the lies that the culture has set before you. Listen, I can tell you, I personally executed the formula to perfection of worldly happiness and joy, of what social media tells you, what the news tells you, what your friend, I was doing it all. This is what we do to have fun. This is what we do. And it led me to absolute destruction and brokenness. And I hurt a lot of people. So I was moved out deep in depression, deep in sin, shocked that $7.25 wasn't enough money to live on. I felt like such an absolute failure. You hear the condemnation creeping in. Just such a failure. I knew I'd strayed so far from my parents, from the Lord. I know they both loved me very much, but I'd failed so big. And, and my heart wanted to return back to their presence. But I felt like I needed to sit in that depression and isolation more, kind of to atone for my sin a little bit because I, I wasn't worthy to be forgiven for what I had done. And it took me, finally, pack my bag up just as I was, go back to my parents' house. And it also surprised me that my room was just as I left it, as if my parents knew that I didn't have a good game plan and I would be right back home. <laughs> Shocking. Uh, but the reason I share that, there are multiple reasons, but one is with me wallowing in my sin and my, my depression and isolating myself, I was basically saying to Jesus, you are not enough. The cross is not enough. Yes, the cross, the gospel, that may work for everyone else, but my sin is too great for you to handle. I have to add to that. And that is so wrong in many ways, and it's just not biblical. Our debt of sin has been nailed to the cross, and that's final. I love this quote. Knowledge of sin should never be bigger than our knowledge of Jesus as Savior. Yes, we are great sinners, but he is a greater Savior. Yes, we are great sinners, but he is a greater Savior. And this is when joy should flow into our hearts, church. When we realize how great he is and how weak we are. There's no one better. This leads us right into point three. The joyous celebration of God's people is born out of his mercy and grace for them. Ephesians 1, that's why we rejoice, church. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Our joy is therefore rooted in the gospel, not our circumstances. That's why it's called the good news of the gospel. It's, it's news. What is news? It's a telling of events that already took place, right? Or it's the way it should be, but we're not going down that route. That's what news is. So no matter what happens in our life, what trial we're working through, what place we have got ourselves into, 
No one can rip the good news of Jesus Christ dying for our sins and our eternity with him in his presence where there's no more mourning, there's no more weeping, there is joy and peace in the kingdom of God. That is what we're rooted in. So our, our hope and joy is rooted not in this world. Therefore, nothing of this world can take that joy from us. So may we be rock solid in that, that no matter what we're walking through, our king is on the throne and we will be in his presence made new. And the beauty of it is we get to walk with him here as well. He's made a way. He's made a way. There's hope here as well. You may ask yourself, well, that's great, Jake, but I still don't feel this, this joy. I don't feel the joy. I know all these things to be true, but I just don't have joy in my heart. And this one I wrestled with, and the best thing I can do is point you to the Lord. Abide in him daily. Keep going to him. John 15, 4, Jesus says this, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Charles Spurgeon. Just a disclaimer. Uh, I'm probably going to have Spurgeon in every sermon at some point. So um, Spurgeon says this, Starving souls live at a distance from the mercy seat and become like the parched fields in times of drought. Prevalence with God in wrestling prayer is sure to make the believer strong, if not happy. The nearest place to the gate of heaven is the throne of the heavenly grace. Listen to this. Much alone, and you will have much assurance. Little alone with Jesus, your religion will be shallow, polluted with many doubts and fears, and not sparkling with the joy of the Lord. So the best thing I can tell you is to keep going to him, keep abiding in his love, and pray. Ask the Father. Ask the Father. If you don't have joy, ask the Father, Lord, give me a joy. I want to wake up in the morning craving you. I want to wake up in the morning craving your word. Speak to me. I need you. When we see our condition, it gets desperate. I know for me personally, there's desperation at times. Lord, I need you. Are we praying for more of him? Are we asking? Are we hungering and thirsting for him? Matthew 7.11 says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He wants to give you good things. And good things are his presence, his grace, his love for you. And there's nothing sweeter. There's nothing sweeter than that. And the second thing I would tell you is go to, go to Jesus through your Bible. Go to prayer looking for Jesus, not just trying to do these religious traditions and stuff like that. We are going to find someone. There is someone there. It's not a book. There's someone there. We want to find the Father's heart and the guidance for our life. I'll say it. <laughs> I was wrestling with this one. We can have perfect Christology, the study of Christ, and completely miss Christ. Theology is critical. Do not hear me wrong. That will be a quick fire for the intern. Uh, uh, that's not what I'm saying. But don't miss the Father's heart to walk with you wherever you are. He is the good shepherd. Do you believe that? Do you know that? You look at the beginning of creation. What, is, what happens in Genesis? The father's desire is to walk with his children. And what happened? We messed that one up, right? Hmm. 
And as we walk through the Old Testament as a church, um, I want to shoot this one down because I thought of this as well growing up. And like, ah, I don't, I'm kind of wrestling with the text in the Old Testament. Old Testament kind of seems like, it kind of seems like a different God. I don't know about all of that. I mean, the New Testament God seems a little more warm and fuzzy and nicer. Um, in the law, I just, I don't know how I feel about the law in the Old Testament. And I, I would say this. We look at when the law is given to the people. What happened? God first delivered them out of captivity from Egypt and then gave the law. He first saved his people and then gave, here's some good things to keep you on the narrow path. Don't get it wrong. Because, and I'm saying that because I got it wrong for so many years. His heart is for you, and he's always moved first to reconcile the relationship. We can't miss that. We can't miss that. We are the ones that wander and turn, not him. And this should uh, grieve us when we see our sin. It should grieve us when we see the separation from the Father. But there's a, a joy that can bring us up out of that that's found in Luke 15. If we find, if we see the Father's heart towards us. You may know it. It's sort of the problem of the Son. I'm going to paraphrase the first half before we go in it, so bear with me. There's a father who has two sons. The younger son asks for his inheritance early. Gets his inheritance. He's got money. He's flush with cash. He's leaving town to have a good time. Sound familiar? Hopefully not for your own testimony, but it does for me. Um, He goes and parties it up. Ends up broke. Famine hits. No food, no money. He basically is living with pigs. He has strayed so far from the father's love and the comfort of the father's presence in the pursuit of worldly happiness, and he has been completely broken. And if absolutely nothing has landed for you this, sor- this sermon, I just ask that you pay attention to the passage we're about to read, read and, and see the Father's heart. See the Father's heart. But when he, the son who had strayed away, came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead. It is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This church should bring us great joy. This should bring us great joy that we see no matter how many times we trade. The father still has his arms wide open. And the beautiful thing, and, and I believe this so many times in my life, if you're here this morning dealing with the weight of your sin and what you've gotten into, if your thought is, yes, I'm returning back, I'm here at church, I'm returning back, but you think you see the father with his arms crossed, shaking his head like I knew it. You know, you deserve to sit in this sin a little bit. You deserve a little depression. You deserve all these things because you're a failure. You're not good enough. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's not what the Father says over you. He doesn't just open his arms wide. He runs to you when he sees you coming. 
the rejoicing of the Father at your arrival because he knows that everything you need is found in him. So if you leave him and pursue things of this world, it grieves him because he knows that where you'll end up is in a pig's pen, depressed, isolated, and broken. That's where it leads. That's where it leads. And that's what Ezra and the Levites call the people to do, right, is stop mourning, stop weeping, rejoice. We have good news, rejoice at what the Father's done for us. So we rejoice and we celebrate. And yeah, we actually drink wine, apparently, in the Old Testament here. This is amazing. Drink wine. Drink of the, eat of the good meat. Drink of the good wine. We can celebrate what the Father's done for us, and the cross is enough. Don't believe the lies that I have to do X, Y, and Z and get myself cleaned up before I go to the Father. No, the beautiful thing is you can go still smelling with your sin on you from the pig's pen, and he will change your garments. He will clothe you in righteousness. He will set you free, and you will have love of the Father like you haven't had before. And don't believe the lies that uh, I, need, I need to sit in this a little longer. And remember that condemnation is what the devil wants to do to keep you from reuniting to the Father's loving presence for you. That is what it is. So we rejoice, family. We rejoice at what the Father's done for us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray and ask that you would come and and touch hearts this morning and move through any error of mine where I have misspoken, Father. All our eyes are set on you. And I ask, Lord, that we would continually be made into the image of your Son. And we would trust and believe that the gospel is true and we have good news that can't be ripped from us. No matter what takes place, we are on a firm foundation. And you have placed us there. So we praise your name, Father. And this whole service this morning, everything we have is lifted up to you. And we pray, Lord, that it's a soothing aroma to you. It's well-pleasing. And I pray the same over every person here. And, And when we see the love that you have for us, it's not easier to surrender. Why wouldn't we surrender to you? Where else can I go? Where else can I go? You are a good Father. You love us so. And we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for what you've done. And the cross is enough. And and if you're feeling the weight of sin and shame and condemnation, I pray for you this morning that you would feel the love of the Father, that you would be set free from any strongholds of lies that have been set up that you aren't worthy enough. The Father loves you and rejoices in you. He knows you by name. Yes, each person here, you are known by name. And we have great joy and we celebrate that and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.